You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety. On today's podcast, we're going to take you around the league with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network Talk Redskins with Grant Paulson from 106.7 The Fan in Washington, D.C. and provide your playing with science checkdown. But let's kick off the podcast with Peter King of the MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, you know the giant organization and their culture well. The 49ers picking up their first victory today against the Giants, San Francisco with almost 500 yards of total offense. Giants have given up 82 points in the last two games. Do you think Ben McAdoo is going to last for the rest of the season? I think he's going to last for the season, barring, uh, you know, an absolute insurgency inside this team. Uh, but the way they're playing right now, I can't see him lasting beyond this season. You know, there's only been one coach in the history of the New York Giants in the last 80 years who's gotten fired after two years or less, and that's Ray Hanley 25 years ago after two years succeeding Bill Parcells. And uh, I think uh, it's probably going to happen to Ben McAdoo. Uh, But just remember one thing. The reason why I don't say it's automatic is very simple. That the, the, the guy who owns this team is his father's son. Wellington Mara was one of the most patient men in NFL history, and John Mara doesn't make people walk the plank without giving them every chance. And so we'll see what happens the rest of the way, but I'd be very surprised if McAdoo didn't walk uh, on January 1st. Hey, Peter, Vontez Burfick is no stranger to extracurricular activities or, or fines, and his head coach, Marvin Lewis, has made you know several attempts to justify his behavior, but he's flagged today after a late hit, and then he makes contact with the official, and then he's ejected for, from the game. At, at what point does the league or the bingo say, Enough is enough and move on past Vontez Burford. Well, I don't think the Bengals are going to do that because if you look at the Bengals, uh, Nick, what they have done consistently over the years is they have, they have uh, basically, I don't want to say enabled, but they have kept guys on their team longer than most, uh, most people ha- have done. And so whether it be, uh, you know, Adam Jones, uh, you know, whether it be others over the years who've had a very difficult time with authority. Uh, I just look at this and I say, I, I mean, look, I'm, I've had enough of perfect and I think America has, uh, but I think the Bengals think he's a good enough player that they're going to stick with him. Taking you around the league with Peter King of the MMQB. Peter, what's your view of the myriad of reports about the escalating tension between Jerry Jones Roger Goodell, and now other owners getting involved. Well, I wrote one of those reports this morning. Right. And uh, what what happened, uh, what's going on right now is, uh, you know, uh, beyond the shadow of a doubt, there's, th- this is really set up as something very, very different than I think we have ever seen uh, in the Roger Goodell era. That's in the, the 11 years since he's been commissioner. There is an openly defiant owner, a big-time owner, who has turned anti-Goodell, 
and who essentially uh, has been uh, has been a uh, is going to be, I think, until he signs his contract, a thorn in Roger Goodell's side, and that's Jerry Jones. I think the one difference here is, or the one thing here, I don't know that Jones is going to have enough ammo to get Goodell out, which clearly he would like to do. Um, and, and I also think that the report by Adam Schefter today and Chris Mortensen that of what Goodell's demands are, I mean, if that's true, that is a scary and tone-deaf demand by Roger Goodell uh, or contract request that I can tell you, uh, I, I, I mean, I'd be, I'd be shocked if, it ever, if they ever did that. But I've never seen the tension uh, around Roger Goodell, around the owners in this league uh, since Goodell took over in, on September 1, 2006, that I'm seeing now and not even close. Peter, you know, sticking with the Dallas Cowboys, we all know about the uh, Ezekiel Elliott uh, issue and the fact that he's now going to be suspended and he's not going to come back to the back half of the season. But, you know, I, I read something early today that he is looking to uh, take a trip outside the country to kind of uh, refocus himself and retune himself mentally. But I ask you, with that in mind, how is he going to prepare himself for the return and possibly to help the Dallas Cowboys solidify what I'm thinking is going to be a wild card spot. Oh, I don't know what he's going to do. I'm sure he's going to work out, but you know, really you can only work out so long. I mean, what what are you going to do? Spend the entire day going to a training facility and work out three times. I mean, at some point, you know, Ezekiel Elliott this entire year has been trying over and over and over again to get reinstated. He hasn't been able to do it, so now he's going away. I don't think it's a big deal at all. Uh, I saw the Ian Rappaport report, and I, I'm sure that he's going to comply with whatever uh, physically he should be doing along the way, and he'll come back and and uh, he'll he'll be he'll play well when he comes back. The only thing is, look at the Dallas Cowboys right now: five and four, three games out of the NFC East lead. Highly, highly, highly unlikely they'll be able to catch Philadelphia for that lead. So they need to at least go to 500 so that he's going to have a chance to come back and help them get a playoff berth. Finally, Peter, Eagles with the best record in all of football. But do the Rams remain the best story? Another comprehensive win today over the Texans who were reeling without Deshaun Watson. How about the Rams and the Saints? I mean, the Saints are just killing people. How in the world can the Saints score over 40 points and Drew Brees not throw a touchdown pass? It's a historic time for the Saints. But you're right. I mean, the Rams and the Saints are going to make this a very, very entertaining pennant race down the stretch. Peter, as always, we value the insights. Enjoy Sunday Night Football. We'll chat with you on Tuesday on NFL No Huddle. Thanks so much. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this. Hey, this is Peter King from the MMQB. Listen to the NFL on TuneIn each Tuesday as I join Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart on NFL No Huddle. Over the shoulder, catch of the five, inside the pylon, touchdown! We'll cover the hottest storylines from around the league and preview each week's biggest games. So catch NFL No Huddle weekdays from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern, only on TuneIn. TuneIn is your home for the National Football League. 
Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next up on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's focus on today's top stories with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, we appreciate the time. Let's start with injury updates from Chicago, where the Packers beat the Bears, but Aaron Jones got hurt, and Brett Hundley apparently was shaken up as well. Yeah, we'll start with Aaron Jones, who has emerged as the starting running back for the Green Bay Packers and actually kind of an impressive rookie fifth rounder. So he went down with what looked like a scary knee injury, but I'm told at this point the initial diagnosis is an MCL sprain or partial tear, really the same thing. He's going to have an MRI tomorrow and is expected to miss some time, but this is not a major injury from what I understand. This is not something catastrophic. The ACL seems to be intact, so that is a good sign for Aaron Jones. As far as the other injury, Brett Hundley, if you're watching the game and you you wondered why he seemed to jog when he got into the open field, he had a hamstring injury. Uh, Played the whole game with it, uh, but should be limited some in practice this week and definitely something to watch going forward. Ian, running back Daniel Lasco lay motionless on the field in Buffalo after colliding with returners Brandon Tate. Uh, It looks like he ran into his thigh. What more can you tell us about uh, his injury and his status? Yeah, another scary-looking injury. And any time a player is down and, and immobilized and uh, and carted off, it's it's something that uh, that certainly is scary. But uh, you know, for Daniel Lasco, he does have a spine injury. He was taken to a local hospital. He did have feelings in his extremities, uh, which is something they announced mid-game. And Sean Payton said after the game that all signs are positive. So it looks like just a scary injury for the fullback, but one that uh, he should be okay from. Taking you around the league with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian, Pittsburgh had a rally to win on the road in Indy, but is there a chance they lost Joe Hayden for the rest of the season? What happened to the veteran? There's a chance, but it doesn't sound like it. So he does have a broken fibula, so he's going to be out. That's a six, around a six to eight-week injury. Let's assume that it's an eight-week injury. So you figure right where we are now, uh, you kind of play it forward a little bit. There is a possibility that Joe Hayden could be back for the playoffs. Maybe early January, maybe if the Steelers continue, maybe into the divisional round. So, you know, for most teams, this would be a season-ending injury for Joe Hayden, but considering the Steelers' record, considering they may have a bye in the playoffs, uh, just where they are, I'm not so sure we've seen the last of Joe Hayden. Ian, there's been some back and forth this past week on uh, former uh, tight end Martellus Bennett, who's now with the New England Patriots. He expected to play uh, today and being as though he's expected to play today, how, how does that factor into this? Well, you know, it could be a little back and forth between he and the the, the medical staff for the, the excuse me, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, well, it's a complicated situation. Let's deal with the field first. He is expected to play tonight. He does have a torn rotator cuff and other uh, injuries to his labrum. It's you know a serious injury, but he's a tight end and he's tough and he's going to try to play through it. So that's the Patriots' angle. From the Packers' angle, when he was with the Packers, he decided to have surgery and end the season. They decided to waive him because they did not know uh, this injury, the extent of it, when he signed there. So if he had stayed with the Packers, his season would be over. And I'm told they're going to collect, try to collect the $4.2 million in signing bonus proration. Meanwhile, he's attacked uh, Pat McKenzie, the Packers team doctor, in a way that I've never heard a player attack him. He is one of the most conservative and respected doctors in the NFL, and 
Uh, Marty B has gone off on him, and, and some high-profile Packers, um, including Aaron Rodgers, ha- have lashed out, and that's something that's going to play out in the grievance court uh, going forward. Chatting with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian, what can you tell us about Andrew Luck now heading to Europe for treatment on his shoulder? Yeah, this is something that sounds like it's a really big deal. You know, a player going to Europe and, and you know, sort of a last-ditch effort. To me, what it sounds more like is Andrew Luck's already out for the season. He has a lot of time before next season. There really is nothing to lose. So he's going to try some new techniques that they have in Europe, potentially blood spinning, which is uh, not legal here but is legal there. You know, the, the goal is to try to get the muscles in his shoulder working properly together uh, because obviously he has the torn labrum that he's trying to recover from. But because he compensated for this injury for two years, he damaged the other parts of his shoulder. The hope now is to improve uh, around the rest of his shoulder and get them all working together. And we watched Thursday night as uh, the Seattle Seahawks and Arizona Cardinals faced off, and we saw Russell Wilson take the shot in his jaw, and he went to the the concussion protocol tent. But he didn't seem to stay that long, and I know those protocols were put in place to protect the players. Is there anything that the league can do to ensure that all the medical staff and the players adhere to that protocol and not go back on the field right away? Yeah, and that was obviously a troubling situation. I mean, anyone who watched that game knows that he went into the tent, and by the time they had popped up the tent, he was already out of there. Now, Wilson has said that he talked to the team doctor for a long time. Uh, I haven't seen all the footage. I didn't see it. But what the NFL is going to do now is start conducting interviews and see whether or not that took place. A league spokesman told me today that they have not determined anything yet as far as penalties. But if you want teams to follow along, the easiest way to get someone to pay attention to the concussion protocols is to take away draft picks. I wouldn't expect that in the Seahawks case, but it is something that the league is allowed to do if they deem it necessary. Finally, and more fallout from Thursday Night Football. What is the Cardinals quarterback situation looking like now with Drew Stanton's knee injury? A little murky. Uh, a little murky. From So here's my understanding. Drew Stanton has a knee sprain. It is not a given that he actually misses any time. He, he may not. Um, they're going to get in uh, Monday and Tuesday and evaluate and just kind of see where he is. If he's going to miss time, you're going to see Blaine Gabbard in there, who who I know uh, Cardinals coach Bruce Arians likes a lot. If he's fine, then they'll be just probably end up cutting Matt. Matt Barkley's going to sign there, but probably end up cutting Matt Barkley uh, late in the week if Stan's going. So it's murky, uh, but it is not decided just yet. Ian, we appreciate the insights. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and we'll chat with you Wednesday on NFL No Huddle. Look forward to it. Thanks, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Hi, this is Ned Coletti from MLB on TuneIn, inviting you to check out my new audio book, The Big Chair, today on TuneIn Premium. The day Frank McCourt made me the 10th general manager in the long, proud history of the Los Angeles Dodgers, November 15th, 2005, was monumental for the Coletti family. I've been blessed to spend the last 35 years in Major League Baseball, all with iconic franchises, the Cubs, the Giants, and the Dodgers where I was a general manager for nine seasons. In the big chair, I let listeners in on the intricacies of being an executive and a GM of a major sports franchise, share the process behind the trades, free agency, and the deals, shedding some light on how the money and decision-making really works. I'll also take you deep inside some of the thought process behind some of the major decisions that led to success and titles, along with heartbreak and failure. 
If you're a baseball fan, come for the inside and grit. If you're a sports fan, stay for the heart. Catch every exciting chapter of my new audiobook, The Big Chair, today on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's spotlight the Redskins with Grant Paulson from 106.7 The Fan in Washington, D.C. Grant, thanks for taking the time. So other than, I'm sure, enjoying a historic moment, probably never believed you see Case Keenum throw four touchdown passes. What stood out to you in this game? Well, I thought the Vikings had a philosophy and a plan that they executed beautifully, Brian, and it just worked, particularly in the first half. They were five for their first five trips in the red zone and had amassed 35 points to take an 18-point lead in the middle of the third quarter, at which point they kind of hit a rut and regressed to the mean sum. Keenum would throw two interceptions in the second half to keep the Redskins in the game, both hauled in by D.J. Swearinger, one returned inside the five. So there was a chance for Washington to come back and play a one-possession game late, but the Vikings had two weeks to prepare coming off a bye, and it looked it. They were one step ahead of the Redskins all day long. Adam Thielen went for 150 yards receiving. Stephon Diggs caught a touchdown, had a 51-yard reception to set up another score. And you mentioned Keenum on a four-touchdown day. They moved him around in the pocket, play-action, bootleg work. Uh, He didn't really have to make all that many challenging throws, but he extended some plays and and threw some rhythm passes uh, in some timing patterns in rhythm. And he was just pitching and catching for about two and a half quarters. Grant, Nick Ferguson here. You know, the Washington Redskins were able to slow down of the Minnesota Vikings in the second half of the game. But let's go back to that second quarter, 21 points. If, if you're Coach Gruden, what do you go uh, back to the drawing board with and talk to your defense? Because to me, giving up that many points in just one quarter, that, that was really bad. So how, how does he move forward from here? Yeah, so Nick, I think a couple of things. First of all, the 21 points were crippling, obviously, and that's where the game was probably lost. The offense didn't help him. Kirk Cousins had a fairly clean performance as far as big mistakes go, but he made one bad throw, and it was a bad interception, and it was returned inside the five. Uh, And the touchdown right before the half, the the third score, the 21 points in the second quarter you allude to, was partially because of that interception. Now, the the big problem and the coachable moment for Gruden and his defensive coordinator Greg Minuski there is you've got to be able to hold a team. I mean, Minnesota's red zone offense, this year has been bad. They've really struggled. And oftentimes, when you've got a quarterback like Keenum, no disrespect to him, who's not an elite player and, and isn't going to necessarily elevate the talent around him, those guys, as you get closer to the goal line, do struggle some because they're not you know, your big-time passers who fit the ball accurately into small windows. But today, the Redskins just couldn't have any red zone answers. And I think that would have been what they needed to do differently, what they'll try to next week in New Orleans and in the coming weeks is you got to hold the field goals. And when Minnesota's been inside the 25 times and they've got 35 points instead of around 20, you know, that's the big issue. Spotlighting the Redskins with Grant Paulson from 106.7 The Fan in Washington, D.C. Grant, we know no excuses in professional sports, but if we're factoring in injuries, how much do you think Washington's been set back with a myriad of significant aches and pains? Well, there's no doubt. I mean, this is a team that's walking wounded right now. Frankly, though, they had a lot worse injury problems to overcome one week ago in Seattle when they won. And that's why I think today it's a little bit harder to chalk up the loss to the setbacks. Now, you could say maybe they just had you know, the uh, every man fighting with that one last gasp, no one giving us a chance philosophy on the road in Seattle compared to being at home, more winnable 
game where you were just a one-and-a-half-point dog this week, but they are without their two best defensive linemen, Jonathan Allen, Matt Ioannidis, draft picks each of the last two years, including a top-20 pick this past year out of Alabama and Allen. They're without starting inside linebacker Mason Foster, second in the team in tackles. They were playing today without one of their really good, young, talented secondary members. Monte Nicholson, a fourth-round pick, was become a starter for them with speed at safety opposite Swearinger. Uh, and in addition to that, even before the last few weeks in those injuries, they don't have their best nose tackle, Phil Taylor. They don't have one of their starting outside linebackers, Trent Murphy. So I'm sure there's a lot of teams around the league that can say that they are the walking wounded. But when you're the Redskins and you're struggling on third down, you don't have Jordan Reed and Jamison Crowder's playing hurt. And uh, You last week were without four of your five starting offensive linemen. And this week had two of those linemen missing some time as part of a rotation because they're not 100%. It makes it tough to beat a six and two Vikings team, but as you said, you don't get to use that excuse. They're four and five. They go to New Orleans. The Saints won't feel bad for them. If they can find a way to win that game, their schedule gets much more favorable in the last six weeks. Well, I know a lot of teams are dealing with injuries at this stage of the season, and you, you talked about Jamison Crowder. No Jordan Reed. He was inactive today, but Crowder and, and Davis both had uh, seventy six yards apiece, and they still have some some weapons on uh, that team and at the disposal for Kirk Cousins. But Josh Doxson, I mean, he showed that he can make some plays for him. You know, why hasn't uh, Coach Gruden found more ways to kind of get him more involved and getting more touches, being as though you beat up on the offensive side of the ball? Nick, it's a great question. It's something I wonder all the time. I'd like to see them four-speed him a little bit more than they do. I think he's got a pretty special skill set. He's not a refined, complete receiver yet. If you watch him at games, you know, from up top in the press box, he's not open all the time. He's, he doesn't always run precise routes, but I like just getting guys like him involved with some smoke bubble screens and throwing the ball out to him and letting him make defenders miss, throwing him a go ball or two and trying to let him out leap a defender. He had a 50-plus yard touchdown catch this season over top of David Emerson of the Raiders that way last week, set a winning score in the final minute with a lunging 40-yard grab at the goal line. He's a, a acrobatic player, and he's a, just athletic, vertical leaper down the field. That's why they drafted him in the first round at a TCU. I think they're starting to trust him more. This week, he had the most targets he's ever had, had the most catches he's had. Uh, should have had a five-catch game with a touchdown, slipped and fell in the end zone on a play where he was wide open and the throw came right at him, and he was on his butt, so he couldn't catch it. Uh, but there's still some of those kind of blooper moments that kid-wide receivers have that he's trying to iron out of his game. He lost most of his rookie year last year to injury, so he's kind of behind the eight ball in some ways. I think that's part of it, but I do think you'll see him more and more involved as this year goes along. Grant, we enjoy your work. I listen all the time online. Hope you can join us on NFL No Huddle. We'll talk more about the Redskins and the future of Kirk Cousins in the coming weeks here on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Keep up the good work. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Patriots fans, Tom Brady's first audiobook, The TB12 Method, How to Achieve a Lifetime of Sustained Peak Performance, is now playing on TuneIn Premium. As I was running through my typical football training regimen, I knew one thing for sure. I'd never thrown the ball as well as I did that day. In this deeply practical athlete's Bible, listen in as the five-time champion reveals his revolutionary approach to sustained peak performance 
that has helped him stay at the top of his game. My ability to sustain my peak performance over the past 10 years is almost unbelievable to me. Filled with lessons learned from Brady's personal training experience, the TB12 method also advocates for more effective approaches to cognitive fitness, nutrition, and other lifestyle choices that dramatically decrease the risk of injury while amplifying performance and quality of life. TB12 method focuses on developing and maintaining something that many people have probably never heard of muscle pliability catch the tb12 method how to achieve a lifetime of sustained peak performance by tom brady on tune in premium today welcome back to nfl no huddle the podcast here are your hosts brian weber and cordell stewart this is nfl no huddle the podcast now let's go around the league with the key takeaways from sunday's action from cordell stewart cordell we're going to be talking a lot about the cowboys what happened to their offensive line today in atlanta Dak Prescott sacked eight times, and they simply could not run the football without Ezekiel Elliott. Well, you can't do anything when you don't have your star left tackle and Tyron Smith. Uh, You have Chaz Green moving from the left guard position to play on the outside, and you end up getting an opportunity to see Adrian Claiborne have a five-sack day, two less than the great Derek Thomas of having a record of seven sacks in one game. I mean, it's tough to get over that portion, and then you add on to that not having Ezekiel Elliott. Now, understanding that portion of it, the down and distances was what? Second and 15, third and eight, third and 10, second and 17. I mean, the quarterback was running for his life. There was no rhythm. Coach Lanahan wasn't able to come up with a different philosophy to play to the strengths of what they do on on this particular offense because when you have Chaz Green at the, ta- at the, at the left tackle position, as well as we all knew, that, that um, Alfred Morris would end up being the tailback. I mean, you have to change it just a little bit. And I, I just remember hearing Dak Prescott mention, you know, we, we're not going to change what we do. We're going to continue to do what we've been doing. And honestly, when it's all said and done in the end, this one-two punch between Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott is one that has to be respected. And at the same time, you take out one of those offensive linemen, particularly on the blind side of the quarterback, you'll end up seeing five sacks by one player throughout an entire game. And those sacks was I think they got to the point where it was the it was the latter part of the third quarter. I think they may have had three minutes and 30-something all seconds left, and there was a flasher, a ticker came across the – a flasher came across the screen basically saying that Adrian Claiborne had five sacks already, and the game wasn't even over with. So uh, it was one of those type of days. Atlanta took advantage of their weaknesses, and uh, they were pretty much exposed because guess what? They have the E-A-G-L-E-S Eagles coming up pretty soon, and that team is not taking any prisoners figuratively, and they are playing to try to win that division. So this is a must-win for Dallas coming up in this next game, which I think will be very hard if they come with the same approach they had tonight. Cordell, watching this game, you know, I felt sorry for those tackles for uh, the Dallas Cowboys because it reminded me back – when Oprah Winfrey would have her show and she would give away things, it was like, you can have a sack, you can have a sack, you can have a sack. But moving forward with this Dallas Cowboys team, and we talked about it on the No Huddle Show on Friday, I thought Jason Garrett would utilize all three running backs, Rod Smith, Darren McFadden, and Alpha Morrison, somewhat better than he managed them today. But you played the quarterback position. How do you not find other ways – to get these guys involved and even utilize the screenplay to take the pressure off of Dak Prescott. Yeah. The pressures they were getting was, was mainly off of the edges. Uh, I mean, you had, you had Adrian, Adrian Claiborne. I mean, he was as wide as 
I mean, almost to the sideline. Why nine? Uh, why super wide nine? That's why I said to the sideline because it's wider than that. And he was pinching. He was causing that 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 tackle on the left hand side, Chaz. It forced him to the the pocket became condensed really fast because he was coming from such a wide a wide uh, uh, from a wide angle to the point where it became really bad. But you know, my thing is is, is when you look at how they actually was playing this game, you would have thought that the starting lineup was in there. You would have thought uh, Tyron Smith and, and and also Ezekiel Elliott was in the game. And and my thing is, is if you cannot make the adjustments, you know, you will get exposed. And this is one thing I asked one of uh, the beat writers there in Dallas this week while we we're on our show on No Huddle. I said, this offense is a key component to what the defense cannot do. In other words, the offense is the greatest defense in the National Football League when they're running the football consistently to help with what you were asking. For as all three running backs getting in the game, using it by back by committee. If you can sustain long drive, if you can extend drives, that'll keep your defense off of the football field, which I think with Ezekiel Elliott and also having Tyron Smith as the left tackle in, you, you end up not seeing this defense get as exposed as they got exposed today as well as this offense because I think this defense when creating the seconds and 15s to the second and 17s now you're forced to throw the football you can't go back to the scheme and the game plan you had in place based on what you were getting prepared to do during that for that game but when you're in that long down and distance situations the the Atlanta Falcons end up winning because they took them out of their comfort zone which I think they shouldn't have played in that fashion anyway they should have forced their hand of running the football and making this defense have to play physical. But once they saw that they were, they weren't able to, to get any yardage similar to what they were doing with Ezekiel Elliott. I think they deviated from the, the, the game plan that I thought they should have stuck with just a little bit longer and maybe adding another back or two into the mix to help out Alfred Moore. So I just think Atlanta just took them completely off their, off their spot and forced them to have to play a different style of football, which we saw Dak Prescott, get sacked five times and, and, and was, I think, a total of nine, correct me if I'm wrong, got sacked nine times, but five by one guy. And so and it came from off of the left side of the field where the, we saw Chaz Green filling in uh, for, the, for the pro bowler and Tyron Smith, the left tackle out of USC. So it, it's pretty tough to see that happen. But I think this bid, this bid that was made for them, they're going to have to lay in it, and it's going to be tough laying in it moving forward considering how they're either going to have to adjust or continue to take this type of pressure from defenses, which we know this defense we're about to see in Philadelphia, it's much better than this defense in the Atlanta Falcons. Taking you around the league with Cordell Stewart, my co-host on NFL No Huddle. Join us tomorrow every weekday, 4 p.m. Eastern, three big hours of NFL conversation. Tomorrow among our scheduled guests, Charles Davis of Fox Sports and NFL Network and Chris Mortensen of ESPN. And Cordell, when we chat with Mort, we could be talking about a coaching change in New York. Your 49ers got their first win of the year against the Giants, and San Francisco piled up almost 500 yards of total offense. Is it time for a coaching change in New York now? Well, you know, you and I talked about this before. I think when he called out the center and also called out uh, Eli Manning on that, what, that on the goal line, on the one-yard line, when he had to delay a game and he called him out by name, uh, I was like, this is not going in the right direction. And, and then all of a sudden, you end up seeing other players get suspended indefinitely to injuries to this football team. And I just saw a lot just taking place before my eyes That's totally that's been totally different for a team like this Giants team 
uh, considering the time in which they were under Tom Coughlin. This is a totally different football team. I think the message is lost. Yes, I think it's time for a change. Uh, why not? It can't get any. It can't get any worse than this. Um, well, the San Francisco 49ers beat them, and that was the team that I was going for. I said they're going to get the first win this year, maybe the only win. But this was the time to get one because this team is just really in, in such a a bad situation right now in a sense of direction. And uh, if there's a time to do it, I think this is the time to do it. I, if you have an interim coach still end of the year, you have to assume it's going to get worse. But either way, the cut go, whether it's now or at the end of the season, you know Ben McAdoo should not and will not be the head coach for the Giants moving forward to the 2018 season. All right, Cordell, let's move to your Pittsburgh Steelers. We, we My see, man. We've seen at the beginning of the season they had their issues uh, and turbulations inside the locker room. It seemed like the production on the field got on track, but today they started out kind of slow against the Colts and a late surge allowed them to go ahead and secure the win. What's going on? with your Pittsburgh Steelers and why is there so much inconsistency? Well, it's just, it's just who they are for some reason. And, and my thing is, is you try to get a dose of Le'Veon Bell on a consistent basis. And I know the record with the Steelers against Indy, you end up believing the hype of that. And, and this team actually came out and scared the Pittsburgh Steelers, to be honest with you, held them to three points in the first half. Uh, I thought it was going to be one of those cases and situations where this team was actually going to lose against a tough and struggling team in Indy. You saw Antonio Brown having a pass right there at his grasp. He looked like he felt the safety coming from the inside, so he tried to extend his hands to catch the football. So as he caught it, he could have gone out of bounds. Uh, you saw interceptions being had uh, when Martavis Bryant could have gone up and caught the ball at the highest point, but instead he allowed the defender to run under the football, and he thinking the ball would have fell into the breadbasket uh, with Martavis Bryant. So, but the best thing about this is they, they, they gathered themselves, they, they, they got themselves back in position to, to try to win this football game. And that's just Pittsburgh, man. They, you know, over the years when you were playing with other teams from afar, Nick, I know you saw this team playing very ugly. I mean, I was a part of those teams too that were playing ugly wins. Ugly. Ugly. ugly wins, right? And, and, and the thing about it is when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers, nothing has ever been pretty. I'm going to tell you firsthand when I was there. Even the time when I was playing a slash role, it never was pretty. We lost Neil O'Donnell and Mike Tomczak comes in. We lost Charles Johnson. I had to come in. I mean, it's it just a combination. We lost Rod Wooston, a Hall of Famer. And then Cornell Lake had to come in with, with Darren Perry. You have to play another position. So it was a multitude of things that, that happened and still does happen in that organization. But when they win, sometimes winning is good enough because now they're the, they have the best record in the AFC right now. Of course, we're going to get an opportunity to get a chance to see how that actually unfolds as we watch the game tonight against the, uh, when the New England Patriots play against the Broncos and Brock Osweiler making a statement. What a fine time to get the New England Patriots. How about that dude, huh? This dude got some real big ones, to be honest with you, to come out and make a statement like that. Knowing that this dude played so bad in, in Houston, how he played last week, and now you're asking for this from this team? But, he, but hey, on, listen, but remember the last time he was with the Denver Broncos, he did, in fact, uh, beat. Tom yeah. Brady and these New England Patriots. Overtime. So, hey, yeah. yeah, in overtime. Nick, and, and here's my question to follow up on that. What happened since to Brock Osweiler? It's been pretty bad for that guy. I mean, and, and all of a sudden he goes to Cleveland and gets worse. And then he comes and played his first game against Philly. Got even worse. I mean, hey, look, take your time. I that, get it. Hey, that's if a I'm Brock Osweiler, take your time. But that's a staple win for him. So he's going into tonight's game with that on his mind and letting that be a confidence booster for him. Well, I tell you, you know, it's selective memory. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's selective memory, isn't it? 
<laughs> so, hey, I'm just saying it's selective memory because, hey, look at here. I, Brian and I, we talk about this continuously on our show when it comes down to how Brock Osweiler played. And, yeah, we saw Trevor Simeon struggle. And, of course, we got to the point where we say, you know what, let's – Let's give him one more chance, right? And all of a sudden, he he loses the game that he actually played. I think it was against, what, Kansas City. And then all of a sudden, the, the obvious had to come about, which is Brock Osweiler playing. But let me give you guys a good case here. And I'm not talking about in the courtroom. I'm talking about Case Keenum. Right, stop, this stop, dude stop. gave four touchdowns. He had two turnovers, which almost turned the game around. But yet, this Minnesota Vikings team is still playing good. I'm sorry. I had to interject with no, that. No, Go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. I was, I was going to do that for you, but I was going to set it up a little bit more kindly as we <laughs> stick you around. Of course you are. Cordell Stewart, I have to give you credit. Case Keenum played well, although you hit on the, yeah, but four touchdown passes, best in his career, but his picks made it interesting. What do you think Mike Zimmer's doing at the quarterback position in the month of December? He better leave it the way it is. If he wants to continue to win, the momentum, the energy, the continuity, I think even Case Keenum is, is, is hearing the buzz of him maybe not having an opportunity to start because Teddy Bridgewater is healthy. And I think he's playing with a little attitude. If you watch him walk on the sideline, high-fiving guys, you know, he's feeling like, you know what? I earned this opportunity. I didn't just been, I've been given this, but by default because of injuries, which is a part of the game, but truthfully, the way I played, I feel like I, sh- I belong out here. Now, yes, there, were, there was one interception he threw away, he threw it up in the air. I'm like, really, bro? Like, seriously? And then all of a sudden he throws another one, but yet he held on and they end up finishing strong in the very end of that. But I tell you, man, what they're asking him to do, I think as far as the call of duty, I think he's doing, he's doing good and even beyond good when it comes down to what he's doing and what they're asking him to do. So he's not being a, let's just say, a manager of the game. He's making throws. He's threading the needles. He's scrambling to making plays with his feet. So he's playing a game like he belongs. I know it's hard to to have that conversation with you, Brian, about Case Keenum. But, you know, I've been a Case Keenum fan for a long time. So I have a case right here. And that's a case for the Minnesota Vikings that this guy should stay in the game and not come out at all. Cordell, if you have a case of Case Keenum, see your physician. you got real problems, all right? I tell you what, (laughs) when I give my physician an opportunity to see what Case Keenum has done this year, he said, you know what, you have a bit of a bill of good cases going on here because this guy's playing that really good. But I wouldn't go. I would not go to Teddy Bridgewater right now to think he's going to come off of off of the bench after being gone for a year and a half and, and just jump on the football field and find that chemistry right now, with which I think this team is playing well off of one another. I mean, Kendricks, think about the inter- think about the, the big play by Thompson that ended up that Chris Thompson that was actually made. He stumbles because he gives him a stutter move at the line of scrimmage, and he stumbles if he makes a play and plays him tight like we've seen him do against defense, against offensive players as fast as he is. I don't think that play is made. But, again, that's why you play the game. But the beauty of this is this team has gone on the road, got a phenomenal win, and I think for most it justifies why I think if we want to say for another week and we want to say for another two weeks that Case Keenum still belongs on the field, allow Teddy Bridgewater to get even healthier than what he is, get his legs under him from a football standpoint, and if he's needed, which is a great problem for Minnesota, he's prepared and ready to play. Cordell, usually what you know is said about dome teams, they don't play good, uh, play well outside in inclement weather. Uh, Sean Payton and the Saints are 4-7 and seven when playing in inclement mm. weather. But they go to Buffalo, and they hand Buffalo 
a whipping. And this was a Buffalo team that many thought that would challenge the New England Patriots for that AFC East division after watching that game and seeing what Mark Ingram was able to do to that revamped Buffalo Bills uh, defense. Are you all in on New Orleans Saints, their rejuvenated defense, and their seven-game win streak? I tell you what, man, it's hard to not be considering what we see going on, one, in that division, and two, what this defense is able to do. I mean, they held this team to 10 points when you think about it. I mean, on on in the six games that they've won, they've held everyone to 15. Now you add this 10, it goes down to what, about 13 points now. So it, it's steadily getting better. And guess what? Drew Brees did not throw a touchdown in this game. He didn't throw a touchdown. So this was done by everyone else other than the quarterback. What, he threw for 184 yards? He ran one I mean, in, though. On. He had a mobility moment, not a rushing touchdown, but that speaks to what you're talking about. They're getting yeah. it done on the ground. They're getting it done on the ground, Brian, and his defense also is being able to go out and get some sacks. I mean, they rushed for, what, 298 yards? I mean, that's that's this round. You know what? For the Saints, because they don't do this often, I'm rounding it up. It's 300-yard rushing day. Okay, for the New Orleans Saints, normally when this team wins offensively in a sense of what they do, how they go about their business, it's done by that guy number nine. I hope I got his number right. The name is Drew Brees. It's about as cool as it get, right? But yet, again, he gets one on the ground, as you mentioned, Brian. And this is, to me, sending out signals to teams, especially, as you mentioned, Nick, they don't teams that play in a dome don't have an opportunity, Minnesota, New Orleans, Go out in the areas where it's cold and, and playing inclement weather well. Both these teams did it, especially the New Orleans Saints. So it's it, hats off to the Saints. They're playing good. I am drinking the Kool-Aid, to be honest with you, not because I'm from the city, but when you look at the other teams within this division, you tell me who's playing better football right now overall as a team to the point where they're capable of putting up 50 points, 47 points, 30-plus points. Who else is scoring like that in that division, let alone in the conference? The other team is the Rams, but that's another conversation for another day. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Hey, this is Peter King from the MMQB. Listen to the NFL on TuneIn each Tuesday as I join Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart on NFL No Huddle. Over the shoulder, catch of the five, inside the pylon, touchdown! We'll cover the hottest storylines from around the league and preview each week's biggest games. So catch NFL No Huddle, weekdays from 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern, only on TuneIn. TuneIn is your home for the National Football League. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We roll on on NFL No Huddle, the podcast for the intersection of sports and science in the Playing With Science Checkdown. It's time for the Playing With Science Checkdown, where science and sports collide. And for that, we bring in our friends Chuck Nice and Eric Goff. Gentlemen, thanks for taking the time. Chuck, take it away. Hey, Brian, thank you for having us on and for once again helping us get the word out about playing with science where you always know our catchphrase, when you play with fire, you get burned. When you play with science, you get learned. And I know you've got a great and exciting play for us that happened today. And what is it? Let me reach over and hit the play button as I lean. A reminder to our listeners, you can catch every new episode of Playing With Science and the entire Star Talk lineup one week early, only on TuneIn. Guys, I'm taking you to Jacksonville, the Jags with some trickeration against the Chargers. Chuck, back to you. Take us through the play. 
Yeah, man, it was a really great play. Of course, Overton sold the fake really well, pretty much better than a married couple staying together for the kids. And then Paul Poluzny pulled from the uh, left and uh, throws a great block, and Grant shoots into the hole. And then Eric, give us what happens after that, man. Well, the trickeration was made possible by some great physics on the play. The Chargers had two shots to catch Grant before he could score, and the first was by number 40, Chris McCain. Now, Grant stiff-armed McCain around the Jackson 45-yard line as McCain dove toward Grant. But the problem with McCain's tackle attempt is that McCain's force mostly pulled downward on Grant's legs, and that was not going to alter Grant's forward momentum. Grant leapt out of McCain's arms, and Grant threw his arms out like a tightrope walker, which gave him more stability because the center mass couldn't easily move past his shoes. Then we come to number two attempt by the Chargers. You got number 20, Desmond King, had an open field shot at Grant near the L.A. 42-yard line. But once Grant spied King, Grant shot to his left. And these cuts with the cleats on the turf can go up over 100 pounds of force on those legs. And King dove for Grant, but Grant hurtled over nine feet horizontally to avoid having his legs taken out. And then Grant cut hard to his right at the L.A. 35-yard line and outran the defense to the goal line. And what I think is really great about this play is it took nearly 11 seconds to unfold. So someone could have jogged about 10.5 miles an hour along the sideline at the snap and gone that 56 yards in the time it took Grant to score. So when Grant hit the hole, he was going about 15 miles an hour. He hit a maximum of about 19 miles an hour halfway into L.A. territory and scored at about 18 miles an hour. So that sideline jogger would have gone 56 yards while watching Grant run a total of 85 yards on that play. Pretty cool, man. So, And here's, here's the takeaway. Physics and Grant will juke you out of your shoes and make you look stupid. So that's what we're taking away from this, Brian. Thanks so much, man. Hey, Chuck, before you go, I can't resist the obvious pop culture connection here. As you well know, Jacksonville's improved defense features a secondary that calls themselves the Jacksonville Five. After Michael and Jermaine, who's the third best Jackson brother? I'm a Tito guy, Chuck. The third best. Wow. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm with you on the Tito because uh, anytime uh, Eddie Murphy references you in, in, a, in a joke, you know you're good. <laughs> but um, I'm going to go outside the family. And, and actually, you know what? I, I feel sorry for Marlon. Yeah. I'm going to go with Marlon. <laughs> I thought you were going to go Miss Jackson if you're nasty outside of the brothers. Give me a little Janet. But we'll save that for our podcast next time. Chuck, <laughs> we appreciate you and Eric joining us every week, and we'll do it again next week. Thank you, guys. Hey, Thank thanks, you. Brian. Take care. That was the Playing With Science Checkdown. Make sure to check out the Playing With Science podcast with new episodes premiering one week early, all free, only on TuneIn. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Country Roads, your all-access pass to everything Nashville. There's a lot better music selection. Marin Morris. Kenny Chesney. Florida Georgia Line. Sam Hunt. Hey, we're Old Dominion. We're all we written in the sand. Plus news and interviews with your favorite country stars. Thomas Rhett. You're not giving more than you can handle, and so every day just kind of has its own challenges. I'm Kelly Sutton bringing you the hottest new country songs on Country Roads. I'm Luke Bryan cruising the country roads with you on TuneIn.
Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time to celebrate individual achievement with Nick's picks. You're listening to NFL First and Goal on TuneIn. It's time for Nick's Picks. After you see me, you will not laugh. You will cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Let me show you. Let me show you my war phase. Ah, Matthew Stafford, 17 to 26, 249 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. Made it, ma. I'm on the top of the world. Maybe not just yet. Not on top of the world, that is, but 16 carries, 90 yards, one touchdown will make Browns fans will not forget Isaiah Crowell, Crowell's name despite Cleveland dropping nine. That's right, nine games in a row. This game moves pretty fast, and so do I. You don't stop and look around once in a while, and you can miss me, and that's exactly what the Texans defense did as Robert Woods beats them over the top 94 yards on a touchdown reception on his way to eight receptions on the day, 171 yards Two touchdowns as the Rams improved to 7-2. Four quarters and 60 minutes ago, I brought forth a most excellent barrage of receptions without a quarterback named Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams. Five receptions, 90 yards, one touchdown. As his efforts helped put the Packers back on the winning side of things, that's the late edition of Nick's Picks. You want to try that? Oh, again, we only have five minutes left. I could fill the five minutes. That was a elongated... I don't even know what to call that. That that felt like you were just cleansing your soul. Yes, that's showing my war face. Ah! <laughs> Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.